I always appreciate you coming on. One last question. Is this the big one? I think this is the beginning of the end. I truly do. Because one system has to end for another one to begin, right? And we're starting to see signs of that. Hey, everybody, Josh Sigurdsson of World Alternative Media here, and we're joined by Kirk Elliott, PhD, a double PhD, actually, and we've talked with him many times before, and as I've said many times, you get, you can go to that link in the description for KirkElliottPhD.com slash wham, and buy gold and silver today. There's a whole bunch of services you could get through him. We'll talk about that later. There's a lot to break down in the news right now. Of course, what we've seen with SVB and Signature Bank, and now there's lineups down the block at First Republic Banks, and you know there's a risk that a lot of this will become a contagion now there's this temporary band-aid they put on the situation that they're totally not calling a bailout which it totally is a bailout but nonetheless um a lot of people are concerned and many of you watching are concerned about the potential of you losing your money in your bank account because again as i've said so many times before on this show if your money's in the bank it's not yours it's the banks and we've saw it last year the fdic talking about bail-ins and banks closing on fridays and we know what happened this last friday so we, we're going to go into this and much more today uh Dr. Uh, Elliot, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the potential of this contagion um, affecting other banks. We see JP Morgan has a lot to win over this situation, but also if you look at the four major banks, the amount of money that has been uh, lost in the market in the last uh, couple of days is astronomical. Can you talk a little bit about the potential of a contagion here? Well, I think the potential for contagion is huge and we're actually already seeing it, right? Because what we're looking at is, is the second largest bank failure in America, right, with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, but, and, and, but let's dissect that one just a little bit, right? Because what did they have? They had $173 million in, in checking savings accounts at their bank in deposits. Now, 150, I'm sorry, billion, 152 billion was actually not guaranteed. Right. So yeah. so those are the, the assets that are over two hundred and fifty thousand because FDIC supposedly covers up to two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. So there's twenty one billion dollars left that actually FDIC is supposed to cover. Well, FDIC is really underfunded, Josh. I mean, you look at it, there's nine trillion dollars worth of deposits in America at all the banks. FDIC has one hundred and twenty five billion. OK. That's 1.38% of all deposits are covered by FDIC. The reason I bring that up is because you look at just Silicon Valley Bank, right? There's 21 billion that FDIC has to cover. That's one fifth of all of FDIC came in one bank. So then just, just you know, within the last 24 hours, uh, Signature Bank, the third biggest bank failure in US history happened, right? So now you add more onto the FDIC part that they have to cover, right? And then there's more uninsured deposits, anything over 250,000, which is astronomical. And so, so yeah, there's going to be a contagion because when people look at Silicon Valley Bank, there's a lot of people that understand what they do. There's a lot of people that don't, but that is a massive bank. Last year alone, Silicon Valley Bank funded 44% of all the tech stock, stock company startups. 44% of all new startups are funded by Silicon Valley Bank. So imagine 
the mechanics behind how this happened were, were weird because you've got these these companies, these tech companies that said, hey, well, under this economy that we're in right now, it stinks, right? We need a line of credit. So what did Silicon Valley Bank do? They said, okay, we'll give you a line of credit, maybe, but you have to consolidate all of your other credit lines. So get rid of your credit cards at other banks, get rid of your bank accounts at other banks, bring everything over. Well, that started to put financial scrutiny behind the bank. And what, what happened is people started looking under the covers a little bit. These CEOs started thinking, ah, nuts. It's like, this is kind of scary. We've got all our eggs in one basket here, right? Okay, so what happens now? They start to get a little bit of social media exposure. There was some financial warnings. Then it hits the news and boom, it's it's over, run on the bank. So, but we should have known, right? We should have known because the CEO of, of Silicon Valley Bank dumped $3.5 million worth of his own stock, right? If, you know, within the last couple of weeks, so did two other of the executives sold a ton. Now here's where it becomes a problem. There's 44% of all startups are funded by them. That's a lot of companies that can't make payroll if there's a bank failure, right? So, so now you're starting to get this contagion of people that are thinking, oh, God, what about my bank? You know, what about my community bank? What about this one? What about Signature yeah. Bank? What about all these crypto banks? What about Silvergate? You know, Silvergate closed up on Friday as well. One of the largest crypto banks in the country. Then Signature Bank closed up today. So three bank failures in two business days. And they're halting they trading at, at countless banks right now. And I've seen myself, there's lineups in front of a lot of these banks, even in small little areas, credit unions, you name it. And, you know, they. I, I just try to do the opposite of whatever Jim Cramer tells me to do, <laughs> essentially, because yeah. everything that he, he's, in the last month, he told people to invest in SVB and Signature Bank. It really goes to show. But, you know, uh, we got this war chest that kind of came in, the Exchange Stabilization Fund, um, which we've been talking at World Alternative Media about for a long time. They got funded uh, through the confiscation of gold uh, alongside the IMF back in, during FDR's time. And they came to the rescue quote unquote to put on this little tiny band-aid and you hear uh janet yellen she says the economy is doing great joe biden in his speech this morning says uh the banking system is safe and then refused to take reporters questions you know a lot of people are concerned rightly so about how they might get affected by this but uh people are saying this isn't a bailout I, it, every single thing points to this being a bailout especially with what they're getting with the treasuries can you kind of go into um, whether this is a bailout or not, or does it even matter what we call it at this point? Well, it is. Okay. So it's kind of a bailout and kind of not. Right. So, right. <laughs> so you go, we go back eight years. Okay. So eight years ago, the G20 nations met after Lehman brothers said, we can't, there's no such thing as too big to fail. We can't afford as governments to keep bailing out financial institutions that fail. So in, in Australia, eight years ago, they decided, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. So on Friday, Janet Yellen posts this comment, you know, this statement that said, there's there's hope, there's going to be hope in all this for the for the depositors, but we're not, there's no bailout. Okay. So she said on Friday there's no bailout, but yet there's hope. What does that mean? It means there's bail-ins, right? Yeah. So so then the FDIC came out with a message today, right, that, that they posted their, their memorandum that basically talks about the financial instability, the, the bad things that are happening, and um, that 
basically they're going to make all these accounts whole, but they, they go on to say a little bit more that tells us they're not paying for it. The, the basically debt holders, the stakeholders in the banks are going to end up paying for it, which would be depositors, which would be other banks, other financial institutions that are putting into this financial coffer system, right? To me, that's a bail-in, yeah. right? So when you have, so let's explain how a bail-in works. It's not technically the government that's paying for it. They're getting it from the taxpayer, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when you pay your taxes, for example, um, that's voluntary right? because you're actually paying it. You could choose not to pay your taxes and go to tax jail, sure, right? But it's voluntary because you do it. A bail-in is not voluntary. So they could say, okay, for the sake of the financial stability of the country, like they did in Cyprus, like they did in Greece way back, we're going to do a bail-in, which means all depositors that we're going to pay 10% bail-in tax, right? To help fund, you know, get your bank out of trouble or get the country out of trouble that, you know, you might have $100,000 in the bank on one day and 90,000 the next. They just take it, which is easy to do if it's a digital asset, right? It's like, okay, you just click a button, boom, it's gone. So so this is who's going to pay for it. Who are the debt holders? Who are the stakeholders in these banks? It's basically the depositors. For So for example, um, Roku, $487 million of cash that they had in this bank, Silicon Valley Bank. So $250,000 of it was covered under FDIC, Rich, that, you know, at this one bank failure took one fifth of all the FDIC chunk. But so 487 million minus 250,000 is still about 487 million, right? So this is what they technically lost. So how much of that are they going to get back? We don't know, but that's the bail-in number, right? That's the amount that, hey, this is the uninsured assets that after it's all said and done, you're you're bailing out this this bank. You are part of it. And what people have to realize, all of us, right, is when you open up a checking account or a savings account at a bank, the perception is big marble building, these marble staircase that goes up to it, these nice pillars. You go inside, you've got this big, gigantic round vault door. You open it up, and there's all these strapped up hundred dollar bills that come flying out of it because the vault is full of cash, right? This is the perception that we have of banks and the vaults. That's not reality. The reality is you open it up. There's like nothing in there because in the summer of 2020, during the height of COVID, the federal reserve changed their regulation D amount of with holding back, right? Their reserve requirement to zero. So banks since the summer of 2020, don't have to have anything held back. Zero, zero yeah. percent. So, yeah, this is- so that means banks don't have to have anything on hand. They do that to try to stimulate the economy so the banks can lend out more, right? So, so here's the pickle, right? When you open up a bank account, a checking account, and we assume that there's all this cash laying in there, is there? No. What you're doing is you're giving the bank a promissory note. Saying if you owned opened up a, a, an account, Josh, a you know checking account with twenty five thousand dollars, you're giving that bank twenty five thousand dollars as a promissory note to say you do whatever you're going to do with it. When I want my de- draw demands, when I want to write a check on it, it's hopefully going to be there. So what what that says is 
when you get a statement that's just a ledger line item, right? That says you should have about $25,000 in here based on what you did. But what do banks do? Banks are not in the business of lending money. Banks are in the business of taking your deposits and investing it for their own gain. This is what yeah. banks do. So what do they invest in? The same thing you and I do, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, companies, right? So and if they're going down, you're going down too. And a lot of people will put their money in the bank saying, I'm going to ride this out. I'm going to ride out these market declines, the stock market collapse, the bond market collapse, and I'm just going to sit in cash at the bank. It's like, okay, that's a foolish notion because your cash in the bank is being used to invest in the same exact things that you're investing outside of the bank, right? So it's it's not the safety that it's cracked up to be. And we just saw that play out with Silicon Valley, with Signature Bank, with Silvergate, with all these other ones, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley City, the big four lost $55 billion yeah. on Friday in one day. And the contagion is spreading. Yeah, well, I expect this to catch up to a lot of the big banks. I think this is the big one. And you know, you see Joe Biden making these statements about how everything's fine, don't worry about it. And I, I'm, I had to point out, you know, this is a temporary Band-Aid. We're looking at most banks have less than 1% or, or less um, of uh, in their cash to deposit ratios. And that means they don't have your money, my friends. And at the same time, these aren't the old savings and loans banks of, of the past. Uh, the derivative exposures are absolutely enormous on a lot of these banks. And uh, the unrealized losses dwarf, in many cases, SVB by a lot. So, you know, when it comes to JP Morgan, yeah, the US government and of course, uh, things like the Exchange Stabilization Fund, Plunge Protection Team, all that, they won't let JP Morgan go down. However, the government only has so much money, they're giving it all away to, to Ukraine right now. So I, I wanted to ask, because uh, I really do think that this perfectly fits an agenda um, to bring us into that cashless society we've talked so much about in the past. I mean, you need a crisis. I, I, I forget exactly who said it, but a lot of uh, creepy old uh, elites have said this in the past. It, you know, the saying goes, uh, we need, we can't let a crisis go to waste. You know, in, in these kinds of situations, this is where we see major shifts in the economic system, major shifts in the markets. And uh, it, it begs the question, is this the perfect storm to force us into a cashless system like a, a CD, a CBDC, where they could say, oh, we're coming to the rescue. We're saving you with this. And most people, because they need their money, they want their money, uh, will say, OK, yes, yes, sir. Do whatever you need to do. What do you think? Well, I think that's spot on. I mean, truly, it's like. What is central bank digital currency? It's a digital version of paper money. Let's let, let's not call it anything that it's not. And so they're not going to fix inflation with it. It's not going to fix anything, but they're going to message it as this is going to be the savior to the banking system. But what does it do? It basically gives them spyware on your bank account, really, for all intents and purposes. So the ability to cut you off from buying or selling if your digital social profile doesn't match up with their agenda. That's what it's all about. So who in their right mind would give that up, give up financial freedom and give up privacy in their spending and the ability, giving the ability of what you spend money on to somebody else, right? Nobody, nobody would do that in their right mind. But if there's a crisis that's bad enough, um, sure, people will give up anything. This is how Hitler came to power, actually. So, so after World War I, 
you know, Germany had bombed the living daylights out of everybody. And the Treaty of Versailles came in and said, hey, Germany, you got to repay your war debts. Germany said, what? I we can't, can't do that, right? We, we thought we won this thing. It's like, no, you got to repay them. So they abandoned the gold standard on the mark. They started printing without discretion. I mean, billions of percent of inflation. I mean, billions, right? They had to pay wheelbarrows of cash twice a day to, to pay people because the loaf of bread would have doubled from lunch to dinner, right? It was that bad. It was awful. People couldn't afford to live. So they couldn't afford to keep their babies. They were dropping off their babies on the steps of fire stations and everything else. So then as all this was going on, Hitler comes in, he's running for political office and he campaigned on a, on a campaign promise of hope and change. See, one of the worst dictators in the history of the world um, got voted in because people willingly voted in. He didn't have to hold the gun to their head and say, hey, Germans, vote for me or else you're going to die. No, they willingly voted him in because things got so bad, so bad that they would willingly give up their freedoms. They give up anything in exchange for perceived security and peace. Perceived, didn't even need to be real, right? So here's where I see us moving now is people can't afford to pay their rent. They can't afford to pay their mortgage. They don't know if they should uh, feed their families or, or keep their house warm or cold, right? I mean, it's, most of America is living right at the margin. Inflationary pressure is going through the roof. Cost of borrowing going through the roof because they're raising interest rates to slow down inflation that they're creating. Why in the world would anybody in their right mind say, hey, this solution of central bank digital currency that you're coming up with is a good idea? When it's the same people providing the solution that broke everything yeah. to begin with. Same people. Yeah. But yet people will fall for it because things are getting so bad that they're willing to try anything to get well, back to a sense of normalcy. As I've always said, you know, tyranny comes under the guise of convenience and it's all the Hegelian dialectic, problem, reaction, solution, repeat. Cause a problem, get a reaction. Most people don't know what caused a problem in the first place, so they'll take the same people who caused a problem as a solution. And it's it's called technocratic uh, serfdom. It is That is what we're witnessing right now. It's a, a global takeover in a sense where we're moving from one currency system into another, and this is just a slow frog boil leading up to it. And, you know, a lot of us as, have expected something like this to happen for a long time. And I have to ask, I mean, do you think uh, with all this talk about lowering interest rates now, which is just such a like the timing of all this is just absolutely crazy, but it makes sense at the same time. Uh, what, what do you think? Are they going to drop interest rates? Because if that happens, I mean, first of all, gold, silver, cryptocurrencies are going to go through the roof and we're going to see a lot of devastation as far as inflation goes. What do you think? I don't think they're going to lower interest rates. I don't think they can. Um, you know, th there's, there's people saying you, you have to, you've got, you've got Pocahontas that's, that's grilling Jerome Powell, you know, in, in congressional hearings saying you got to lower the interest rate. Look at what's happening to the people. Right. But then Jerome Powell, and, and believe me, I'm not defending the guy, but he's saying what uh, the, the inflation that we have is because of you, because you keep spending money, you keep raising the debt ceiling, you keep doing all this stuff. And, and I have to print trillions of dollars to keep up with all your relent, unrelenting spending, right? Because we bring in, in, in a nation $4.8 trillion a year. That's what we brought in last year, but we spent 6.8. So let's say you're sitting around next to your wife and you you let's take a bunch of zeros off of these and make it into a family budget. Let's say you make 48,000 a year instead of 4.8 trillion, right? And you're spending 68,000. Your wife is gonna sit down and say, what in the world, Josh, what's wrong with you? 
We're spending 20,000 more a year than what we make. And we only make 48,000. It's like, okay, we got to cut our expenses. Politicians don't think like that. Politicians never look at cutting their expenses. They always look at the revenue side. It's like, oh, we got to raise taxes to get in more revenue. And if we can't raise taxes because we're already tapped out on the tax cycle, well, then let's just print more money, right? But they never look at the spending side. This is what Jerome Powell is basically saying back to Pocahontas and saying, look, we've got inflation because you keep spending money and I have to raise interest rates to slow that down. And she's saying, oh, no. You, you can't raise interest rates because it's hurting Americans. You said your inflation is hurting Americans. So this is battle, right? So, so I think, though, that inflation is the greater evil than interest rates. And so therefore, because if you don't stop inflation, when we lost our petrodollar status, you know, as, as the BRICS nations, yeah. as Saudi Arabia is taking away demand by by making an agreement with all of the trading partners, like Saudi Arabia said at the World Economic Forum, it's like, hey, China, we're not gonna take petrodollars in exchange for oil, we'll take you on. Hey, Europe, we're not gonna take petrodollars, we're gonna take the Euro. Hey, Mexico, we're gonna take the peso, right? I mean, they're gonna trade in whatever the currency is of their trading partner, it eliminates demand for the US dollar. So when there's no built-in demand, we're no different than any other country here in America. Yeah. Right. We're no different. We're no different than Venezuela, Argentina, Cyprus, Greece, you name it. So therefore, if we don't control inflation, we could go into a hyperinflationary spiral, just like Venezuela did, just like Argentina, just like all of them do, because yeah. we're no different. So they have to tame that beast that they created. The, there are only two ways for them to do it. There's two ways. Number one, well, actually, there's three. Number one, stop printing money. Well, they're not going to do that because yeah, they're going to be keeping the economy afloat. <laughs> Number two is raise interest rates, just increase the cost of borrowing so people spend less. That will have the net result of, of the economy slowing down. But there's a problem with that. They're trying to slow down the economy, which generally inflation is a, is a reflection of, a, of an overheated economy. But we've got an inflation in a stagnant economy, that's stagflation. So you raise rates too much and you kill the very economy that you're trying to grow. So thirdly, they just blame it on the markets and, and they just let it die. They just let it kill itself and say, it's the market's fault. It's yeah. the stock market's fault. It's not our fault, right? I think that's the route that they're going to take. That will kill inflation, but it means stock market comes crashing down. Real estate comes crashing down. All that debt needs to be eliminated for us to start. And now there's two sayings for that. One is a great reset which is all about people control. And there's another great financial reset, you know, uh, uh, which is on the good side, which you change the monetary system to a quantum financial system or a gold-backed currency or something like that. One is pro-freedom, one is anti-freedom. One is all about people control. One is about regaining the financial freedom that our, that our founding fathers wanted for us, right? This is the battle that's waging right underneath our nose right now. Yeah, and and the, the people that are doing this to us are never gonna own up to it no matter how long they live, no matter how long we have to, you know, we search for justice for what has been going on criminally in the financial system for so long. They've already today, Joe Biden blamed capitalism for this, capitalism that I wouldn't call what we're seeing with the fractional reserve banking or zero reserve policies, capitalism in any sense of the word. And then of course you hear the odd, 
you know, claim that, oh, it's Trump's fault or it's Russia's fault or whatever it might be. They always need an excuse, a pretext so that they can pretend that they have no blame here. Um, and, and going forward, this is going to affect a lot of people. The inflation rates are going to affect a lot of people. And it's, it's about time that people take solutions seriously. Um, I, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, serious solutions that you provide. And again, I tell people to, <clears throat> I urge people to check that link in the description for kirkelliotphd.com slash wham buy gold and silver you can liquidate iras 401ks 43bs checking savings brokerage accounts into physical gold and silver and there's a whole bunch of other services free special reports all that you just have to go to that sign up sheet it takes two seconds but uh i'd like before we go for you to talk a little bit about the prevalence of gold in this kind of situation because this is kind of what the well you know wealth insurance is all about it's it's these crisis situations like we're seeing today so can you go a little bit into that and uh, as well into the services you provide uh over at your website where people could actually Actually, hopefully be able to get out of this uh, rough situation and feel a bit more peace of mind. I love gold. Don't get me wrong. It's a tangible asset. It's real, right? Tangible assets never go to zero, mm-hmm. right? When was the last time you went to a gas station and, or, and the gas at the pump was zero? Well, never. How about the last time you went to go buy a car and it would, the, the, the dealer said, oh, it's free today. No, that never happens. They don't, they don't go to zero. Groceries don't go to zero, right? Things don't go to zero. Tangible assets, which gold and silver is one of them, don't go. But we can see that banks can go away overnight. You can see that companies like FTX, you know, BlockFi, um, Enron back in the day, they go to zero overnight, right? Things never go to zero. So this is why we focus on tangible assets. So between gold and silver, which one do I like better? They're both equally as safe. I like the one that's outperforming, right? So that would be silver. So right now, silver, you know, like, Today, as we record this, silver's up well over 6%, gold's up a couple of percent. It's like tripling the rate of growth of gold, right? And I think that will continue on for the next year to year and a half. Now, it's not that I dislike gold, but if one's growing much faster, let's just say that silver continues to triple its pace. Well, a year from now, 18 months from now, whenever that happens, whenever we feel like it's the right time, we sell our silver, roll it into gold. What did I just do? Because silver outperformed, I got you three times as many ounces of gold then than I could have purchased for you today. That's free gold, right? So what we do is we allocate into safety with people's cash, with their brokerage accounts, IRAs, right? But it's physical. Physical metals is what we allocate into. Then on top of that, we make sure we're in the right place at the right time the majority of the time. Not only would your portfolio grow because gold and silver going up, but we could leverage that growth by allocating into the onto the underpriced outperforming one and lock in the prices down the road. I've been doing, I did that numerous, numerous times over the past 29 years being in this industry where you can multiply people's ounces. That's true wealth, right? So, so those are the services that, that we provide, so to speak, is not just a transactional broker buying and selling your gold or silver, right? That's what everybody does that's in the industry. What we do is take it one step further and know that those are the bookends. To me, that the transactions are like the necessary evil. We want to hold your hand through the economy. We'll let you know when it's time to buy, sell, reallocate, get out of Dodge, go back into stocks, do whatever needs to be done, right? To make sure that you're minimizing your risk, maximizing your return, being in the right place at the right time the majority of the time. That's what we do. Well, it's obviously never been a better time 
to get into gold and silver than it is today. I, and you know, I've, I've been saying that for years because it's been true for years. It's always true because when we're dealing with the dollar and we need wealth insurance and we need to be able to insure our wealth versus these crises, and there's a lot of them and they're all snowballing at the exact same time it's never been a better time than now to get into this kind of stuff. People are afraid, people are worried, and there's reason to be afraid and worried, but there's more reason to actually take solutions into your hand and do something about yeah. it. Because at the end of the day, we could complain and scream at a cloud all day. We could look at our computer screens and, and pump our fist and, and yell at these psychopaths that are destroying our financial system and pushing us into complete servitude to an impoverished you know, global government, or we could instead go, hey, there's solutions. And that's what they're afraid of. They don't want us to know there are solutions. That's why the banks, that's why the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, and all these entities are trying to go out there right now and censor people on social media for saying anything negative about the banks right now, because they're worried it'll cause further bank runs. And that's why they want people on their knees begging for help from them, because they want to be the solution to their own problem. It's right. always been the way it is. So now is the time Time to actually do something about this, my friends. And again, as I said before, Kirk Elliott, PhD.com slash wham is in the description of this video. And it takes two seconds to click on that button. Go and sign up with your name, email, and, and phone number and the what time on your schedule you want to talk with uh Dr. Elliott, and you get a whole bunch of free special reports with it as well. So again, you can check that out in the description. I always appreciate you coming on. One last question: is this the big one? I think this is the beginning of the end. I truly do. Because one system has to end for another one to begin, right? And we're starting to see signs of that. Nigeria last week, stopping all um, withdrawals out of ATMs, more than $250 a week. United Kingdom coming out with their announcement that they're going to have central bank digital currency by 2025 at the latest with a maximum of 20,000 pounds that you can withdraw. It's like, what? They're starting to ration income. They're bragging about it, Josh. They're bragging about what they're going to do. And so when that starts to happen, they're no longer hidden in the cloaks and in the shadows and using code words and secrets. And no, they're just saying what they're going to do. To me, that tells me we're close. This could be the big one because one system needs to end for another one to begin. And you've got to get rid of banking as we know it. You have to get rid of cash. And they're eliminating cash. One final word. The M2 money supply, look at it. They've, yeah. they've reduced it by half a trillion dollars over the last half a year at a time when people need it the most. They're pulling cash out of the system in preparation for a central bank digital currency. Yeah, I, I wish that people were right all these years when they said we're all crazy and you know we're just a bunch of conspiracy theorists it's just base it's economics 101 and we've just been following what's been happening over the last few years and it's not all that surprising to all of us but it appears it is here my friends and i would prefer to not be vindicated i prefer to be on a street corner screaming at traffic but this is the way it is and we got to get prepared so this is your opportunity as always check those links in the description and i look forward to talking to you again very soon uh again that's dr kirk elliott phd you could go to kirk elliott until next time this is josh sigurdsson and dr kirk elliott signing out from world alternative media find the truth be the change